Welcome to What's the Tea with Ministry, where we spill tea on the Jesuit and Mercy mission at the University of Detroit Mercy, bringing you mission-centered conversation through storytelling, reflection, and community connection all over a cup of tea. Hosted by University Ministry and our student co-host. But today, it's just me, Anna Lawler. I'm flying solo while Margo is on vacation with her family. We hope she's having a great time, and we can't wait for her to return. Today, we're going to be talking with Dr. Prasad Venegopal, Associate Professor of Physics. Prasad's research in physics education explores ways to integrate issues of race, gender, ethnicity, and other culturally relevant pedagogical issues within physics curricula in order to encourage students to reflect and engage with physics in a broader social context. At the university, Prasad is a faculty fellow of the Office of Mission Integration, in which capacity he serves as OMI liaison to the university's Laudato C Task Force, which we're going to hear a little bit more about today. We are also joined by student Kari Gamlin, who is a senior and history and English major. After volunteering with TEN, the Titan Equity Nourish Network, and university ministry at the university, Gamlin went on to various ISN, which stands for Ignatian Solidarity Network events, and worked for TEN as the sustainability manager, and has continued working with TEN currently. During such, they created TEAS, Titan Ecology and Sustainability, a group created to connect Titans to sustainability efforts on campus. So we're excited today to welcome Kari and Prasad to here to our podcast. Uh, this is our first time interviewing two people, so we are very excited to see how this goes. One of the things we do on our podcast uh, for all of our guests is we do something called the tea segment. And what that's about is it's related to Catherine McCauley and the history of the Sisters of Mercy. Often uh, during the afternoons, Catherine would sit down with some of the other sisters over a cup of tea and talk about their day. And in a similar fashion, because this podcast is about conversation and connection, we want to do the same thing. And so I, before we started recording today, offered our lovely guests um, some tea. And I'm going to just ask you, what tea did you select if you selected tea at all? I'll start with you, Kari. Um, yeah, um, I'm a huge tea drinker. I frequent parlors and I go buy various kinds of tea all over Detroit. Um, so I got Lemon Lift from Bigelow Tea. I'm a big, it's the morning, so I love a black tea and, you know, nothing is, it never goes wrong. Lemon Lift is amazing. <laughs> Prasad, what are you drinking? Well, the flavor of tea that I'm having is coffee. It's, uh, <laughs> it's Folgers Black Silk Coffee. Um, I usually, my tea drink, I don't drink tea before noon, generally. So um, I love an evening tea or a night tea, especially if it's herbal. And when I do drink tea, the tea that carried me throughout the pandemic, really, in a very significant way, was a rooibos chai, a herbal tea. So, um, but right now, I'm drinking coffee because... That's what time it is. Coffee time. Yeah. As we're currently <laughs> recording, it's about 1030 in the morning. So we are not quite at the time when Prasad would be having any tea. Uh, for myself, I chose a mint tea. Seems to be the consistent flavor I'm choosing these days. Um, I'm so excited to have you both here. I'm excited to have some conversations about sustainability and ecology and things that have to do with ecology justice. Um, that's such an important topic. And I know for this year, our Celebrate Spirit theme is care for creation. Um, in particular, 
stewardship for creation is the theme name that we've chosen for this year's Celebrate Spirit theme. And also what we uh, will be talking about throughout the year as part of our theme, just being conscious in the Office of University Ministry about sustainability. That's something we're really trying to commit to this year. And so the first thing I kind of want to talk to both of you about uh, and ask is, why are both of you passionate about ecological justice? So Kari, I'll start with you first. Can you share a little bit about what makes you passionate about ecological justice and sustainability? Um, I think maybe when, it was, when I was younger, I just did so many camps and I'd always be outside when I was a kid. And I feel like by the time I was in high school and there was a lot of climate change um, issues being brought about, I started reading books and I started going to climate strikes um, originally just because I liked advocacy work, but as I've just gotten into college, just caring about where I live, being connected to the place that I live and being aware of what's going on in our community, what's going on on the earth um, just matters to me, even as my career has shifted from STEM to now working in um, liberal arts-based research. It still matters to me on a daily basis because it's where I live. It's my home, and I assume everyone listening is also <laughs> living on planet Earth. So. <laughs> well, though these, the broadcast ultimately is going to go out into deep space, right? <laughs> yeah, we're no longer an internal audience. <laughs> we're going to reach everybody. <clears throat> so for me... Um, I think I have to just go back. I'm thinking about all the influences that brought me to this space, if you will. Um, and I think really my, in some ways, my story does begin with coming to the United States in 1988. Um, I lived a privileged upper caste middle class life in India. Um, and it's remarkable, as I think about it later, not when it happened to me, but I was thinking about it later, coming to the United States, um, disappeared a number of those privileges while maintaining others. And um, as probably as a consequence of that, I ended up, one of the first overtly public acts of resistance, if you will, I did was standing on a picket line uh, when, as a graduate employee, on strike at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. That made me political, and as I got more political and became a peace activist and a labor rights activist and so on, an immigrant rights activist, it became clear to me in my own political education that these are all interconnected issues. Mm -hmm. And so environmental justice, for example, is a very big deal for me now because I got, I got educated in that from the people I worked with. And so, um, but, the, but in recent times, I, I'll mention one thing. Uh, during the pandemic, I took a um, workshop by uh, Dr. Lily Mendoza of Oakland University, and she did something, a uh, workshop for us, a number of us in the science, technology, and race learning community here called Ethno-Autobiography. And it's really a remarkable workshop. I just wish there was a way that everybody on campus could take it because it really asks you to sit back and, and, and decenter humans, yourself, but also humans, and place you within a larger context where your story becomes a part of the story of nature. Mm. Uh, and indigenous storytelling and narratives really come to the forefront. Uh, I can't really talk about all the way in profound ways in which that has really made me rethink my own way of thinking about things. So, 
but it is it does really um, influence me in terms of my own thinking now on environmental justice issues. Amazing. I love that. One of the major reasons we invited both of you here today was to talk a little bit more about TEAS in particular, um, the group that both of you started or involved in. Um, could you just explain to the larger community here at Detroit Mercy, what is TEAS and why is it important? Um, so TEAS was something that um, I started after talking to um, the staff at um, 10 and talking to ministry staff and then I went to an ISN conference um, called the Justice Summit in the summer where I was just talking to various other students who do climate advocacy work and various other advocacy work on their campuses and I was sitting there as a history and English student being a sustainability manager doing just some of the most bizarre things in the world, like just making sure that we had enough plastic bags to give out food and things like that. And I was like, it didn't feel like I was connecting to, well, the little high school self who were platforms every single day to high school who would show up at climate strikes after school. And I wanted to find a solution to um, how to get students, staff, faculty, and hopefully in the future alumni to find a common ground and a common space to not only talk about the advocacy that they're doing in terms of sustainability, but to get people involved who want to help but didn't know how. Um, it was one of those experiences when I was making it where I just couldn't find a way to make it accessible to everyone without it just excluding someone else. If it was a club, it would have been almost all students and one faculty <laughs> advisor. If it was another based um, task force, then that would have been heavily based on faculty and staff and would not often have much of a student voice. And if it was alumni, I wanted the opportunity to engage and to find a way to um, continue having sustainability efforts on campus and to continue um, encouraging the idea of caring for our common home, um, there wasn't an approachable space for that. So it's very new, um, but tea matters because um, it's just a nice space for everyone to get to be able to have these conversations, just sitting down and of course, because it's called teas, we also have tea often <laughs> um, to just talk and just have an experience of what are we doing? What's going on on campus? And what can you do to be involved to um, bring forth more efforts um, about caring for the environment at University of Detroit Mercy and other areas around us in the community? So, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Great. Prasad, how are you connected and involved? Well, I'm a huge supporter and mm -hmm. I've attended um, maybe a couple of meetings mm -hmm. and so on. I, I won't, I cannot won't take credit for anything more than being a big supporter. I think it's wonderful. I'm just so thrilled to have uh, students and people like Kari in this world that I'm part of because I think it's just amazing. This, these ideas and the, and the work they're doing uh, is just great. Um, if one of the things I have come to understand at my age is that the, the things, the ways in which uh, I engage with people and so on is different. Um, I'm not a technological fuddy-duddy or anything like that, but still, you know, <laughs> it's just the, the ways that, that the 
succeeding generations approach each other or approach topics is so different. So it's been an education again. So it's just wonderful to see this work being done. And I'm just a huge supporter, ready to support in any way. My connection to uh, T's and 10 also comes through um, my role as the faculty fellow at the Office of Mission Integration and my work with the Lada to Seed Task Force. And uh, actually, uh, we are, I'm part of a grant that we wrote to the Mercy Ministry, uh, regions, to the Sisters of Mercy, and we have a Mercy Ministry grant that not only approaches uh, things that TEN is doing, but also um, what we're doing, the task force and the Laudato Si action platform. So there's a lot of connections and interrelatedness to the work that we're doing, but uh, as far as TEAS is concerned, it's, it's Kari and a group of other people who have done some amazing work, and I'm just so happy to, to help in any way that I can. Yeah, and I'm excited to hear that I didn't, I really didn't know a lot about teas. I knew it was happening. I, I knew that the groups were, uh, the group was meeting and having conversations and I knew what some of your purpose was, but I didn't know uh, what you were saying about being able to have so many people and so many voices involved. I think that's so great. And your attentiveness to not wanting to create a, a club or a task force in effort to make sure that that space was welcoming and accessible to multiple people and from whether they're internal or external um meaning their alumni now at this point i think is really awesome um that's just a really cool part of what i think you're doing which is great and i think we know i think all of us the three of us in this room recording and i think a large number of people at the university know that the university of detroit mercy can do better uh in terms of sustainability uh, i know that the university ministry office is trying to make small steps uh, we're not going to say that we're making grand efforts yet, but we're working towards that. Um, I think there is a process of trying to be more sustainable, more um, conscious of the ways that we create waste in our office um, and in our department and how that affects our larger community as well. Because uh, we're definitely people who have we're, pretty much become the office where you can come get a plastic fork. And we're really trying to get rid of that. I think we aren't putting them out this year. So for all of the people who have been, haven't been to our office yet this year, just know that they're probably not going to be there. But we do have silverware, and you are more than welcome to have that fork and wash it and bring it back. Can I give a shout-out to something? I just want to – sometimes we just this, – these things sort of we don't uh, – as uh, after – it's two minutes after Kari spoke, I was thinking, this is actually – I want to bring give a shout-out to this. We slot ourselves in so many ways – no matter what the organization we work for. So we get into this university and I'm suddenly a faculty member and somebody's staff and somebody's administrator and students mm -hmm. and then there are academic departments and so on. It takes this new kind of thinking that Kari is talking about, which is, no, all of that doesn't really matter. Yes, there are groups and maybe we reach them as alumni and so on, but really we need to think about new structures and new ways of doing things mm -hmm. that don't necessarily just slot us into, oh, we're a student org and we have a faculty advisor. No, we need to do something deeper and broader than that. And I just mm -hmm. appreciate that because too often we fall out, slot ourselves into spaces mm -hmm. and once you slot yourself into a particular space, then the avenues open to do work also narrow down. Mm -hmm. And the first thing we should ask ourselves is, does it matter that I'm a faculty? I mean, what's mm -hmm. the difference between Kari and me in, in terms of the work that we do on environmental <laughs> justice? There is no difference. This is the same earth, like you said. Yeah. And, and we're all, you know, in that struggle to try and do better. Um, and so at that point, it makes no difference. It, all three of us here are, have that similar focus in mind. Right. 
it's more about the community aspect that we're all in this community together, whether we're in the community of the human experience on earth or in the community of the university of Detroit mercy. And yeah, I think that's a really wonderful model to be trying and working through, um, with T's and, and it should be a model that we're paying more attention to in a lot of spaces so that we're hearing everyone's voices. I think community is one of the biggest aspects of, um, ecological work and also just being an advocate and being connected to caring for other people in social justice work that is not really respected or venerated as much as it should be. Um, community is the center and it is the heart of working with people to care for people. And sometimes people think of ecological justice as it's something so devoid of other humans, but talking about you know, the animals, which is true, but it's also caring for the animals because they're here with you and they're part of your community involvement. It's the same way you want your dog to live longer and you go to the vet and you ask what is the healthiest food with less byproducts. I think of it the same ways. When I'm thinking of community, when I'm thinking of ecological justice, I like always love to center myself. And this is something that um, I remember talking to Bill McKibben, which was crazy, by the way, the fact that I used to read his books. And then when I met him the first time, I kind of was a little starstruck. But um, we were talking, and he made this group recently about having people of older ages um, get involved in ecological justice and use social media and mm-hmm. all those things to care for ecological justice. And I... Um, I just remember thinking about how important, I asked him, I was like, how do you keep doing this for so long? Because he's been doing it since like the 70s and the 80s. Like he's a part of that older age of like um, environmental activists. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to figure out how could you keep doing this over and over again when you get tried and tried again and people aren't listening and people aren't caring, um, especially for him who'd revolve around the government having to do um, sit-ins and such as that. I um. He just some community, and I think we have a community here that's already people are care about the earth, mm-hmm. and just need to collect a place of con- connecting. I mean, Dr. Brasad was my old professor for one of my <laughs> classes, and so the I fact like how that she said old professor, <laughs> <laughs> nicely I done. Mean, yes. To be fair, I was former a sophomore, professor. former professor. <laughs> so, I, <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, it was like, Dr. Brazad was this person that I met. I just, oh my goodness. When my mom first, uh, when the second time my mom was working here, because my mom works at the university, and I just remember passively meeting Dr. Brazad. And I was like, yeah, well, I'm a nursing student at the time, so I wasn't going to ever have a class. And then I was like, oh, I don't see any. Oh, no, COVID happened. And the group that was going through nature walks and hiking and going outside and doing earth strikes and climate strikes isn't a thing anymore. It's like maybe nobody cares. And the farther I went to the school, I realized that that's just not the case. And people just don't know how to get it done on campus. And mm-hmm. I don't know how to get it done on campus. And that's why I need people like Dr. Prasad, where I would come from class and then I'd go to attend and be like, I need to figure out a solution. So people who care like me and Dr. Prasad can work together and figure out solutions and even just have suggestions because sometimes that's the best that I can do. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it's 
doing something bigger, like writing the letter. Sometimes it's something big, like going to a strike. And sometimes it's just something small, just adding suggestions or just mm -hmm. asking questions. So, yeah. And, and you know, and sometimes it is, especially with such complex, difficult struggles like this, sometimes it's just about being a voice to say there's a different perspective. Mm -hmm. um, over both in the city where I live, Ferndale, uh, but also in Detroit, and then at this university, that word community that we use, mm -hmm. we don't all agree on what on who belongs in that community. And if you right. change the definition a little bit, a whole new world opens up. Mm -hmm. So, so, uh, and I'm not knocking on anyone because I've been here for 25 years and this has been part of our, our persona, if you will, as an institution, is that when, when it comes to the academic side of it or, or the way we operate mm -hmm. being in this urban area, we very much tend to define community as what's within these fences. Correct, yeah. And, and the people outside the fences, and of course we do have fences, and the people outside the fence are an adjunct to that community, our neighbors, and, but they are our community. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And very much what we do affects them and, what, and the lives they live and the experiences they have affects us. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, we spend a lot of time talking about community as if it's just those of us here who work and live and teach and, and study and so on. But our lives are, are we cannot be separated from those who, who are all around us. And we need to pay attention to that. So mm -hmm. even the notion of that of community mm -hmm. and how we all define it differently becomes a point of contention, a point for education, to think more deeply about our, our place in the world, not our place at this institution, mm -hmm. or, or to think more deeply about how we are humans and what is good citizenship as opposed to um, what is uh, you know what is what it means to be a student or a faculty or something mm -hmm. like that? Right. Yeah. Because ultimately, the experience of a university, and this is this is my view. So I'm sharing my opinion about community. Is this is in some ways temporary? Often students are coming in. They're going to be here for a few years. They're going to get an education, and the whole point is for us to build community with them here, and build community with our the larger community outside our fence, as you say. Um, the community of Detroit, the city we're in, that's so important to the identity of our school. Um, but it's also important that we're staying connected, that our community is always focused on what is beyond the fence, what is beyond even Detroit. Not all of our students mm -hmm. obviously stay in Detroit. Mm -hmm. um, once they graduate, they're going off and living in different states and different parts of the world. And how is the way that we educate the way that we communicate and talk about the world and community and justice how is that permeating all different facets of our our country and internationally around the world as our students and alumni leave and go off and have amazing careers or amazing lives that touch different people and are involved in different work I think that's something that I think a lot about a lot is that our community is in some ways temporary because it is not something that everyone's going to stay in for many years, but it is something that people are always connected to. Uh, I think one of my, uh, I also went to a Jesuit institution. I didn't go to the University of Detroit, Mercy. I went to John Carroll University in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, and one of the quotes that was always shared um, was that you'll always have a home with the Jesuits. And so not only is the is the Jesuit world something I'm connected to? Obviously, now I'm connected to the Mercy world as well. Um, but that's something that I, I see across my own work in, in university ministry and higher education. And I also see it in my friends that are still connected that are alumni of John Carroll or my friends that I know from here. 
um, that interconnectedness and that, that part of community I think is so beautiful. Um, it's just something that I, I cherish and I think is really important as we look at what is the experience, what can we do in the four-year experience for our undergrads who are going to be here, and some of them are going to be here longer, five-year programs, seven-year dental programs, all the different programs we offer, which are amazing, but what can we do when they're here so that when they leave, ultimately leave us, they're still taking the lessons, whether they're the lessons in the classroom or they're the lessons in conversations at TE. Um, or they're in, you know, uh, a retreat at university ministry. What are the things that they can take with them and share with the world? Um, so I'm going to transition sure. and ask um, another question. So obviously I mentioned we're a Jesuit and Mercy institution. And it's a big, those two charisms play a huge role, I think, in the influence of how our community thinks um, and what we're being asked to do. And a part of that is our, is our mission. What are, how does the charisms of the university of our Jesuit and Mercy identity impact what our mission is? I know I've been talking a little bit about it, but I kind of want to talk about why you think the Jesuit and Mercy mission, um, those charisms, call us to care about the earth, to care about ecological justice. And this can be from whatever perspective you want to share, but from your experience here, um, how does that... How does the mission and the charisms of our university impact your desire to be involved in ecological justice? Can I jump in first with a, mm -hmm. with a little story about my getting here? Um, yes. So by the time I finished my doctoral degree in physics, I was, I think it's fair to say, uh, accurate to say that I was very deeply involved in political activism on a number of issues. Um, so when I was applying for jobs, it was important for me to, it was an important part of my own sense of wh what I want, where I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. And one of the things is I really wanted to be in an urban area because Amherst, Massachusetts, it's called Happy Valley, um, <laughs> enough said. Like I wanted to be in a big urban area. Mm. So, so that was the first thing. But then when I saw the ad for the job here, it had the word social justice in it. And so it just sort of grabbed me right there. I didn't know anything about the Jesuits or the Mercies at that time from, from a charism's point of view or from their traditions and their history and so on. But I did know this, that when it came to anti-war stuff or to issues of peace and nuclear abolition, in the years that I was a graduate student and in subsequent years as a faculty here, I worked with a lot of sisters religious. I worked with a lot of Jesuits and other um, uh, priests from other denominations and so on. One of my, one of the, the people, Father Simon Harak, who is a Jesuit who passed away a number of years ago, was one of the leading voices of the Jesuits in anti, in the anti-Iraq war. So I came to it from a social justice perspective. Mm -hmm. I'm a secular atheist Marxist. So it's, in some ways, it's hilarious <laughs> that I'm on, on what's the tea with ministry, right? But, <laughs> but I think it's an important lesson. We all come from come to this from such different places. Mm -hmm. And for a campus that's predominantly non-Catholic, which is what I believe we are, yes. uh, possibly predominantly non-Christian even, mm -hmm. I don't know about that statistic, but we are have a significant number of people who are not Christian. The question about is it our identity that matters or what part of our identity that matters? Is it the values uh, that come out of the Jesuit and Mercy uh, traditions or is it the idea of being a Jesuit and Mercy institution in terms of um, some sense of being Catholic or being Christian or something. Mm -hmm. 
And I think the latter one runs us into some, some difficult spaces. Mm -hmm. Whereas if we really focus a lot on the values that are very, they transcend religion, they transcend even, they, they go into secular justice notions. To me, that's, in the 25 years that I've been here, what I have learned is that my sense and my identity and my values in uh, coming from where I am and with my life experiences fits really well with the idea of a Jesuit and Mercy mission to care mm -hmm. for the earth, to fight against racism, to, to support immigrant rights, things I have been doing for 35 years. Mm -hmm. And as long, and you know what? I have no problems with, with uh, it's, it's beautiful to work with people for whom their driving force is the notion of a creator in terms of a, of a God, whether it's a Christian God or a Muslim God or a Hindu God. So that's not an issue for me. Um, because I think that whatever drives people, I'm driven by something else, but, but maybe humanistic values. Mm -hmm. But whatever drives us, it bring, if it brings us to the same place in terms of values, um, of creating a more just world, um, then I think that that's what's important. So for me, the Jesuit and Mercy mission really is about hearing the cry of the earth, hearing the cry of the poor. It's about a preferential option for the poor. And that's mm -hmm. a phrase that I learned after being at the university. Mm -hmm. And it's a phrase and it's an idea that I completely as associate and identify with. And so for me, that's what's the beauty of it. We all come from different places, but the values are what brings us together. And I think that we, as, as long as we at a university really try to say we're, we're a university with, with where we subscribe to Catholic social teachings and we subscribe mm -hmm. to justice and we subscribe to the Jesuit and Mercy missions in terms of the values they espouse, I think we have a chance to bring a lot of people together to, mm -hmm. to do this work. But if it becomes very important about identity mm -hmm. uh, in that narrower sense, then I think we, we run into some blind alleys and, uh, in terms of uh, our association with the mission. Um, I'd have to say, when I came in um, during my school year, my first year, um, I think I have this experience, and even now as I've done so many things and working with new students, um, I always get here students who come who are nervous, who are not Catholic, and it's always a big concern for them. They're like, what is it like? What does it mean to be Jesuit? What does it mean to be a mercy school? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times the assumption is the fear of, a lot of, for some of them, and I'd say even for myself, some of them is the experience of um, fear because they're unaware of what that means for our specific school. Mm -hmm. Because Catholicism um, can sometimes have a very bad rap for some experiences. Definitely. Yeah, and as a, someone who now is a history major, and, I, and even in, when I was in K through 12, I was aware of these prejudices and also these biases. As a queer student coming in, it was extremely terrifying. Cause, and I see this with a lot of students, and I had to figure out what, what made it so our school so different because when I came to the school I was aware of the fact that there was um, queer associations and I was aware of the fact that there was queer professors even here mm -hmm. and I was like what makes the Jesuit and Mercy tradition so different and what makes us care so much about people mm -hmm. and um, I just remember forgive me being a history student again and I was in class and I just remember reading like documents from Vatican II and I feel like we have this understanding in Mercy and Jesuit traditions to really grasp this understanding of caring for people first that mm -hmm. was very much trying to be encouraged um, 
in in that specific document, that era that completely shifted people's lives. I mean, it was happening during a huge war mm -hmm. and it's happening and it was like in this this heat of um, having um, Cuban Missile Crisis and all this and suddenly they had this understanding of just being like, oh my goodness, we have, maybe we've been doing Catholicism wrong and I sit mm -hmm. here and I'm at this school and I come here where I have professors saying I want to learn how to use pronouns I want to learn how to be more sustainable I want to be a better just human and I feel like that's something that's so distinct about the Jesuit and Mercy traditions that's just can't be seen at other experiences just being in University of Detroit Mercy, it's a different experience because you get to meet people who care. And sometimes those people, they try to figure out where that substance of care matters. And I will say this even, I've been, um, I'll go into another anecdote. Um, <laughs> when I was, um, this summer, we've had a lot of um, phys uh, physician assistants working with us and we've had mm -hmm. nursing students work um, just in the garden, for instance, or just have come and helped volunteer and package bags of food for um, community members who may be busy or disabled in the area just to, you know, care. And then they see me sitting here and saying like, okay, well, this food isn't very salvageable to give out, but we can find a way if we can salvage it for individuals and doing all these small things like caring for how many bags we have, which is so silly. And it's such a small part of my job is just being, do we have enough bags to give out food and I just remember talking to these physicians assistants and I hear it in their voice like and how they speak when they're talking about their jobs they care about people and I feel that's a very important aspect of not being an environmental justice student but a lot of these students sometimes don't even know that they would care so much or maybe they go into this climate nihilism and they see this experience of just something so intimate and small being at our school and seeing people who care in such a very close and specific way of caring for our common home or caring for the community surrounding us. And it kind of changes their perspective on how to be an environmentalist. A lot of times people think of it as the automatic is just like meat is murder and the vegan stereotype and things like that. But when you come to a school where there's just people who are all the different stages, environmental justice, it could just be them saying, oh, well, I've been thrift shopping since one of my friends started going thrift shopping to care for the environment, but I've actually been getting good outfits and things. It's like it always <laughs> has been different experiences and having those, I think it matters in the Jesuit and Mercy traditions because it's just a different understanding of people, mm -hmm. you know? So I feel like my long-winded um, <laughs> conversation about I, Jesuit and Mercy traditions matters to me because they're just a different experience. It was just unique being able to be in the Jesuit and Mercy traditions, not just at our school, but meeting other Jesuit schools and Mercy schools through all mm -hmm. the experiences I've done with ministry and um, ISN. I've had the ability to see how different it is to just be at an institution like that. So, I mean, I just want to add something, if you don't mm -hmm. mind. I was I, I think that's great because I, you're reminding me again of, of why actually being Jesuit and Mercy makes us really unique. Because mm -hmm. And I may be a little stereotypical here uh, in terms of my outlook, and, and both the Jesuits and the Mercies might, might complain, but um, I think in general we think that the, the, the Jesuits have done more theorizing about these things and, and more intellectual in some ways, and the Sisters of Mercy, who are also very intellectual about it, but they're also very kick-ass. <laughs> um, and they've been out on the front lines of doing work. But what they both, when you put them together, 
you get this beautiful part where there's the part you were talking about on the one hand, we need to think about and care for and be present for uh, people here and now. Mm -hmm. And it's important. You, the, the, you, we can't think about the world 100 years from now or 50 years from now without also caring for the people in this world, in our community mm -hmm. now. Right. But then we have the ideas of hearing the cry of the poor and hearing the cry of the earth and, and talking about all of those things. And then we think about those as, as pathways to a future that is more just and, and more uh, ecologically just and, and really you know, transforming the world. We get the best of both worlds from that. And, and they really are interconnected in terms of the mercy critical concerns and uh, apostolic preferences of Jesuits. They all come to that same point, which you gotta care about people here and now and do that work. But you also have to, within that work, see what the future holds and find a pathway to a better future. Mm -hmm. and, and I think um, in our best times at this university, that we're doing both. Mm -hmm. uh, when we're not doing a great job, we're doing one or the other. Too much right. theorizing about a future that we haven't helped build or just focusing on the present without thinking about where we're going. Right. Yeah. What I love from both of your answers, a, a thread that I, I see is and it goes back to our like earlier when we were talking about community because that's obviously a huge piece of this. Uh, it's, it is communal work. It is the work of all of us to be a part of this um, and to be conscious of ecological justice and conscious of justice issues across the board. Um, I think the, the thread I was finding in, in both of your answers is, um, but I'm going to use some of Prasad's words, was the idea that we all come from different perspectives, mm -hmm. but what's important is that we all come to the table and that mm -hmm. we all communicate with one another. Um, it doesn't matter what motivates you to come to the table. It matters that you show up at the table. And I think that's um, a really important piece of what both of you were saying. One of the things I wanted to ask about is with teas in particular, what is the desire or hope um, if there's a goal? We've talked a little bit about purpose and, and we've talked a lot about um, importance of even just having a space for questions and conversation. Um, but if there, if there was a goal to accomplish or if there was something in particular that you are both looking for teas to be a part of, um, or play a role in, what would that be? Um, I would love to just, when I think about when I started writing teas on a piece of paper and writing it <laughs> at um, an ISN trip, I think the main thing that I started as a mission was to get people connected. But I always think that the biggest goal for um, teas is to allow a space, um, I, I want, and I think um, a lot of people can agree on this, is that teas should be there to be a servant in some form for just everyone in um, UDM to just be, have a space to not only push towards um, radical change in terms of sustainability quicker, but to also um, accomplish goals with the support of everybody, um, with understanding. There's no people who are out of the loop. Mm -hmm. So um, I think one of my big goals would be to bring um, 
some form of composting back on campus. We used to actually have composting on campus. And that's something that, you know, I hear so many different kinds of people talking about. I hear Lodato C talk about it. I hear Ten talk about it. And then I just hear some students just pass away be like, oh my goodness, and if I could drop off scraps somewhere, I think I would probably consider composting. Things like that. Mm -hmm. It's a small um, example of just a th one thing I'd like to accomplish, but that's something I can't do without everybody in the community. And that's people who aren't official members, if that's mm -hmm. a word for tease. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I also would love to just see a future for us to not only engage with other campuses um, for um, Detroit Mercy, I'd love for us to be able to engage with those people um, in a way where we can bring people on campus. We can have panel discussions. We can do the theorizing and the active mm -hmm. step of working um, of course, um, recently we were talking to one of the journalists at the newspaper here on the McNichols campus, and we were just talking about we really want to just have the ability to just find a way to engage with um, so many of the various, um, to the president's cabinet, to talk about what we desire as students mm -hmm. um, to have on campus when it comes to sustainability, like actually being able to guarantee that we have recycling, to guarantee mm -hmm. that the things are properly being disposed of. These are small steps, but um, I think there's something we can accomplish when we have a space like Tease where we can personally have a nice tapped connection to the community, not just on campus, but I'd highly encourage anyone who considers themselves a Titan, which to me is anyone in the area, anyone who used to go to the school, anyone who works there, has worked there in the past and has that understanding. I think it means something to just say, oh, we wanna, this is a goal we wanna accomplish. Like, I wanna do this, or I wanna have this idea. Like, I, I have so many students um, who come to 10 and they just don't, they have an idea, but they don't know how to get it accomplished. Mm -hmm. um, and then when it comes to sustainability, I would say, hey, tease, that's my, bread and butter right there I can um, <laughs> help you bring that idea forward um, so I, I like to see tease as a way to be a nice quick I, I want it to be a solution for a lack of conversation a lack of that lack of table to speak of mm -hmm. yeah so I, I think the biggest thing that um, tease wants to accomplish is to just be that table and for people to be aware of the table is there so when they want work done when they want sustainability to um, to be encouraged better on campus when they want something to be brought about when they want to find a staff member who can help them with a solution in terms of sustainability work and ecology work um, there's someone there for them mm -hmm. and for us that can sometimes be 10 based stuff sometimes that's Lovato C and sometimes it's just T's being there and holding space to be like maybe we can come as a group to talk to somebody, to talk to someone in the um, various groups. So I think that's mm -hmm. the biggest thing about um, that we want to accomplish and that I think these goals are reasonable and they can occur. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I think that's great. And I think that's so important for our community uh, to have that space. Um, and like you said, there's probably lots of things that we would love to see be more sustainable on our campus efforts, uh, whether it is recycling or bringing back composting. Um, I think there's many areas in which the work of justice can go further on our campus. Mm -hmm. um, but I think 
what is so key um, and what is so important about what you're saying is that we also just need the space to be able to have the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we want to see the action steps. We we got to move past this, the conversation and theorizing. We have to, you know, do something with if we're going to say we're a Jesuit and mercy institution, both of those charisms talk about care for creation, talk about care for the earth. Then we have to care for the earth and care for creation. Uh, that is the call. Um, I want to end with one question um, for our little formal section of our, the interview is what are just some ways uh, both of you have involvement in ecological justice on campus but also in in the wider community in the wider um, ISN network in the wider Jesuit and Mercy worlds um, and obviously just our earthly community what are ways that our community people in our community at the University of Detroit Mercy can better connect with ecological justice? Obviously joining T's <laughs> would be a really good option, but what are some, maybe some other things as well that they could be involved in to be more attentive to ecological justice as part of our mission at the university? That's a, that's a tough question. Uh, and I, and I, and it's also probably the most important question in some ways to get more people involved in this. So maybe there's some, Kari, when you were talking, it just occurred to me that we see things as, um, all of us at the university sometimes see things in multiple strands. And um, maybe one of the things we need to do is, is to connect them and see that they're part of one whole and these are just different strands. So T's and the Laudato Si Task Force and 10 and so on are all part of coming out of one place. And in the last couple of years in my job as, uh, as the OMI liaison to the Laudato Si Task Force, one of the things I had to do was read the Pope's uh, 2015 encyclical Laudato Si. And mm-hmm. the concept of integral ecology that is embedded within that encyclical, and that actually has a long history, um, is, is I think, I hope that people on, in our community here really get to appreciate what that concept means, the concept of integral ecology. So um, I, for me, that, that more, in some ways, I'd also like to change the language. I think uh, it'd be great to change the language from sustainability to integral ecology because of something you said earlier, which is that when people think sustainability, they think, they think about you know conserving nature and all of that. And uh, and in fact, I watched a video about a couple of we- a week ago or so uh, about the fight for environmental justice in Michigan, and they did a survey of people in play in Downriver and the 48217 mm-hmm. zip code and so on. And what they found out in other parts of Metro Detroit, and what they found out was that in predominantly white communities, they talked a lot about quote unquote sustainability, about nature and conserving mm-hmm. the water and the green spaces and so on. And then they talked to predominantly black and Latina communities and there they're talking about uh, pollution and, and they're talking about the lack of water, mm-hmm. the lack of access to clean air and so on. So we have two different conversations. And I think um, one of the things I'd like to see people in the community is to is to understand that integral ecology says you can't talk about one piece of it over here, conserving nature and so on, without mm-hmm. also talking about uh, the people's lives and right. and the things that they're facing, yeah. and especially because, as the Pope says, the the harm we do to nature is a harm that falls. And I'm I'm not saying it as eloquently as the Pope does in his encyclical, but the harm we do to nature. Uh, is also harm that we do to humans within that nature. Uh, and so, and it's not all though, 
Mm -hmm. it, it falls unevenly. It burdens the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed, the women, and so on, in ways that it doesn't burden others. And so we cannot think of one without thinking of the other. And we need to bring those together. So what I would hope to see as a community is that we bring, we recognize that all of these strands actually lead back to this concept of integral ecology mm -hmm. and that we have a university-wide conversation about it. Mm -hmm. I would love to also see everyone, in, back to your previous question even, in terms of goals, I would love to see that some of the most fundamental decisions we make at this university, many of which lead to the budget, Mm -hmm. are made keeping these values in mind. Mm -hmm. Decisions yeah. should not be made without thinking about the ecological justice aspects of the decision. Mm -hmm. Who do we get money from? What do we spend it on? Um, mm -hmm. And all of those things. I'm not saying that they're easy to solve. I mean, some of them are the most intractable. Should we use our smartphones knowing full well that they're fueled by wars in the Congo? Mm -hmm. Well, we are in a world in which we use smartphones. Mm -hmm. But at least a recognition that our way of life is, is interconnected with the misery and the oppression of people mm -hmm. in the Congo that powers, the, that powers our own cell phones is one step beyond the idea that, hey, I've got, I can do some great things with my smartphone. I think we need to get to that deeper understanding, and I think Integral Ecology does that. So if I, I think, what can we do as a community? I think we need to dig deeper into this notion of mm -hmm. integral ecology mm -hmm. and the ways in which we, need, we are making decisions at this mm -hmm. university and the ways in which we connect with each other and with the world outside. And to really ask ourselves this question, is, this, is our role as an educational institution more about reflecting society the way it is or is it about transforming society? And we all think it's the latter, and our Jesuit and Mercy missions tell us that's what it is. Mm -hmm. But I think we need to think more deeply about the ways in which we need to transform the way society is and our, you know, our role in that mm -hmm. versus reflecting society. Right. I'd love to say, as a community, um, when people come and they want to join sustainability, I'm specifically talking about those people who have that desire to care about ecology, sustainability, don't automatically go into the mindset of like, I'm gonna be a zero waste hero. I'm going to go in, mm. in that I'm gonna start caring about nature thing because when you go to a place like me who's gone to e EPA conferences, the thing that they're not talking, they're, they may be talking about, they may have water bottles, reusable water bottles, and they may reuse their, um, you know, those little straws and things like that, but, the thing that you uh, that everyone needs to understand, and I'm specifically talking to viewers who are trying to have that experience of trying to start, sometimes mm -hmm. it is just informing yourself. If you don't know what 48217 is, please look it yeah, up. Absolutely. Please understand how much fossil fuels and how many companies are infringing and not having the care mm -hmm. for the people in our own community. This is our community. Right. Whether people believe so or not they sometimes it's the understanding of maybe instead of just driving so far to find a different place to go outside of this community say that you're not connected to this community try connecting to the community get to know the people down there down the street there's trap vegan it's a local black-owned mm -hmm. business 
Try something like that. That's something so small you can start doing just to get connected to the community. You don't always need to have lofty things and be like me in high school and immediately go to a climate strike. You don't need to immediately start reading books. You don't need to immediately start doing those things. Sometimes it's just simple conversation. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's just going to a specific person that you know is involved with something and you want to start it or you want to learn about it. That's an easy, quick way to Mm -hmm. get involved. Sustainability and ecology are such big lofty words for me just saying, give a crap. (laughs) (laughs) Just care. And be unafraid, right? Be unafraid. Be unafraid. The reality, yeah, right. Sometimes we sit here and the the client nihilism, and I think especially for students, staff, and faculty who have talked to me about how they want to start but they don't know how, and they always talk about like there's just so much. Mm-hmm. There's just so much to do. There's just so much going on, and I can't do anything. But you can do something, and your small steps matter. Um, and they do they do matter to me, and they matter to Prasad, and they matter, right. especially if you're in your religious beliefs, it matters to Allah or it matters to, to God. It matters to those people that you're um, trying to get. It matters to them, and it matters to you, and that's enough even if you don't have a religious belief, and that's enough. You caring, it's a start. And when you start caring, it gives you the ability to do things that you never thought you could. One day you'll be like me in high school signing a form saying, yes, I'm interested in going to a climate strike. And next thing you know, you're sitting here doing sustainability, managing things, and meeting Bill McKibben, some of the biggest people in the, wor- in like the world for sustainability. So it starts small. Yeah. yeah. I think one of the things, Kari, that you shared uh, made me think of, um, and I'm going to, this is not a direct quote, um, but it made me think of a prayer poem that's attributed to Oscar Romero um, called Prophets of a Future Not Our Own. And there's a part of it that says, we cannot do everything, but we can do something and do it well. Um, And there's something liberating about that. And so Mm -hmm. even though we might not feel like we can do everything to meet the needs of the poor or we can't, we might not be able to do everything to work towards um, all of the different facets of justice that we touch in our lives or that are a part of our existence. Um, We can do something and doing something is what's important, even if it's small and even if we don't see the impact of it. What you start now, maybe what Tease is starting now is going to impact our community long beyond any of us being here. And so that's that's always a reminder for me of, you know, we are in many ways prophets of a future that isn't ours. Mm-hmm. Um, we are trying to make small impacts or big impacts on our world that are going to make the pathway to the future better for everyone. To finish this out today, we always ask all of our guests two questions that are related to mission. Obviously, our whole conversation today is connected to our mission, and we recognize that. But one of the things um, we like to ask, we have two questions. The first is, what is your favorite part of the mission? And we leave that as a very open-ended question because mission at the university can mean something different for anybody, like for each person. Um, Obviously, us in university ministry identify it very strongly with our Jesuit mercy values and charisms, but it could also be the larger mission of the university that you define however you feel it fits for you. So I'll ask both of you, what is your favorite part of the mission and what motivates you to live the mission? And I know we talked a lot about motivations earlier as well, but 
if we could just start, I'm going to start with Prasad this time. What is your favorite part of the mission and what motivates you to live the mission? My favorite part of the mission is actually not in the words of the mission as we've written it, but it's really a call to radically transform the world uh, that we live in. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, and our role in it to transform the society that we are a part of. And so that's the favorite part of the mission for me. What motivates me to live the mission, I think I've talked about it, is mm-hmm. just a very strong sense of uh, justice. It's, I feel like uh, others have said this. Being involved in social justice and in, in doing this work uh, is the rent that I pay mm-hmm. for, uh, for being on this earth with everybody else. Just, this is what I, I have to do. This It's part of who I am. And so that's what motivates me to live this mission because I see that in the mission too. Mm-hmm. Kari, what about you? Um, my favorite part of the mission is um, part of the mercy tradition of walking with the outcasted. Because um, in my experiences, I have been the outcasted, but I've also been someone who um, understands that there is other outcasts outside myself and caring for those people matters. So um, seeing where I'm at, but also seeing where other people are and to perpetually be in that state of caring is nice to me. And it's also, I think, a necessary part of being a part of, well, necessary good. There we go into ethics. But um, I think it's a part <laughs> of um, being on this earth is to just care. Um, whether you're a penguin who just wants to seize a lost egg and, you know, you see them. I, I'm sorry, I love watching those on Instagram. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, what motivates me to be a part of the mission is... Um, Honestly, sometimes when I think about it, what motivates me to be a part of the mission is not only does it, you know, a lot of times ethics, again, it makes me feel good, but also makes me feel good to care about others. It makes me feel human and my raw emotions that I feel when I want to help someone or the emotions that I have when um, I am not just being self-centered and taking some time and leaving some space and allowing myself some space to see maybe my shortcomings, which can sometimes be forgetting where I'm at in the mission, or maybe I'm not following it, maybe in the best way of not just being a titan, not just being a part of a Jesuit or Mercy network, of just being the mission that I think is ingrained in a lot of human beings. Um, I just think um, caring and keeping myself, I feel like humanity is a very important part of mm-hmm why I care about the mission and why I continue to live in it. Um, sometimes that is just purely love. A lot of people, and especially when I've talked to Sisterian about this, she likes to equate it towards love, like this understanding of love is being a part of the mission and motivates mm-hmm. to be a part of the mission. And the essence of love is what makes us human. Mm-hmm. I see so much, just to be able to have air in your lungs and breathe sometimes is such a privilege and such mm-hmm. an amazing honor to have sometimes that I feel like as a human being I feel charged to care about other living uh, breathing things on this earth even if it's through the unique ways that plants do it or the amazing ways that human beings I've met um, now recently all over the world has been amazing and I think that motivates it's a big part of being a part of the mission for me and what makes me want to continue doing that is because I'm a human being and I love being human it's nice (laughs) (laughs) wonderful well we've reached probably one of my favorite parts of our podcast the lightning round 
Um, what this is, is I'm going to ask you a series of questions and I just want you to give me your raw first answer. Um, they don't need to have explanations. Um, if you want to offer a little anecdote with it, that's okay. Um, but it is about moving quickly through them. So the way we're going to do this with two people this time is I'll ask the question. I'm going to have Kari go first to answer mm -hmm. and then Prasad right after. And then I'll okay. ask the next question. Are we feeling ready? We are ready. Let's go. Okay. Amazing. Round. Okay. First one, sweet or salty? Sweet. Spicy. Spicy. <laughs> I like that too. What was your first job? Uh, nursing home, I believe. Yeah. Activities manager. Uh, lab assistant for physics lab at Utah State University. Nice. If you could learn a new language, what would you choose? Arabic. It's such a beautiful sounding language. Spanish. <laughs> Spanish. Love it. What is your favorite movie? Uh, I'd have to say Interview with a Vampire. Okay. I love that book. <laughs> Unforgiven with the Clint Eastwood movie mm -hmm. uh, and with Gene Hackman's just amazingly vicious performance as a villain. Just the best. <laughs> love that. Invisibility or super strength? Super strength. Okay. <laughs> super strength. Okay. <laughs> Current favorite food? Kimchi fried rice. Maybe it's because I had it a few days ago. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Oatmeal with Greek yogurt and something really spicy in it. Ooh, that okay. sounds good. <laughs> Who is your hero? Um, my dad and Superman. I'm obsessed with Superman. <laughs> <laughs> um, Paul Robeson. I always come back to Paul Robeson. I don't know why, but Paul Robeson. <laughs> What is your favorite word? Mm. <laughs> uh, water. <laughs> I like the W. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm laughing because uh, the word that just popped into my mind because uh, we saw the movie last weekend, I think it was, is the word inconceivable. So that's my current favorite word. <laughs> <laughs> inconceivable. Inconceivable. That's it. <laughs> favorite holiday or celebration? Definitely Halloween. Mm -hmm. Sunday. Sunday. <laughs> That's a fantastic holiday. And then this it is just keeps repeating, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a good one. Yours comes once a year. Mine shows up every week. <laughs> every day is Halloween for me. <laughs> oh, there you go. That's a good comeback. And then this this last question usually involves a slightly longer answer, so you can answer it in full. Uh, what's the best advice you ever received? question i'd like to say you don't always have to do your best you just need to be you it's something my great grandma told me and i just sometimes I, i'm a little bit of a perfectionist and sometimes um we always get obsessed with being the best we can be and sometimes it's just being there is enough just being you and just being who you are you know was this part of the lightning round mm -hmm. it is okay because i'm going to say the first thing that came to my mind the best advice i ever received and many times this, Prasad, shut up. <laughs> Stop talking. <laughs> A good reminder that sometimes we have to listen. <laughs> well, thank you so much for both of you being here. I think this conversation was amazing. I wish we had more time to continue to unpack it here in this space. I'm sure the conversation will continue outside of the recording booth as well. Uh, can I just say it's it, a shout out to University Ministry. I just, I've been here 25 years. 
and I've seen university ministry transformed in ways that um, I'm just I'm just amazed by all of you, Anna. You doing this, but all the work that university ministry is doing is just amazing. I've seen the transformation, and I feel so much. I belong to the university so much more because of the work that university ministry is doing to welcome people like me. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to What's the Tea with Ministry. If you enjoyed listening to us today, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Also, be sure to follow us on social media at UDM underscore ministry. That again is UDM underscore ministry. You can find us on Instagram there. Or check us out at the What's the Tea with Ministry podcast on the Detroit Mercy website. Thank you to our guests, Dr. Prasad Venegopal and Kari Gamlin for being in conversation with me today. Thank you also to all those who made this podcast possible, especially the Communication Studies Department, our sound engineer, Michael Jason, marketing and communications, and the whole Detroit Mercy community. We look forward to sharing more of the mission with you next time. Mm